I encourage you to open up to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. Our text for today. Psalm chapter 51. You ever found yourself wondering what the appropriate response is when somebody gives you a gift? You, you, you ever wonder how you're supposed to react? It kind of depends on who it is and what they're giving to you and maybe where you're at when they're giving it to you. When it's something you didn't really want, do you, do you fake a smile and say thank you? If it's something you really did want, do you jump up and down? Do you scream? Do you give them a big hug? Do you cry tears of joy? Or do you just say thank you? Sometimes it's difficult. I know it is for me. Sometimes it's difficult to know how to respond to a gift. Now, when we confess our sin to God with humble hearts, believing that God is perfect and merciful and wise, and then we ask God to forgive us out of his love towards us, he gives us this incredible, beautiful gift. And it's called forgiveness. But once we've received this gift, question then becomes, how do we respond? I mean, what is the appropriate response to the forgiveness that God graciously gives to us? What comes after forgiveness? To answer that question, we want to look at the last several verses of Psalm chapter 51. And I think as we do, we're going to see a picture of restored living. Restored living. When we receive God's forgiveness, we live restored. So I want to read Psalm 51. And we're going to read the whole psalm, and then we're just going to focus on the last section of this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Would you pray with me? Father, as we turn to this passage of Scripture, of of your word, this passage of Holy Scripture this morning, Father, would you open up our hearts, our eyes, our minds, our ears, Father, do whatever you need to do to get this word inside of us. Lord, it is your word. It is powerful. 
is powerful to change us, to make us more like our Savior Jesus Christ. It's powerful to draw us to repentance and faith in Christ. It's powerful to, to help us know how to continually cast off sin and put on holiness and righteousness in our lives. So, Father, would you do your will in us through your word today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll recall from Psalm chapter 51, um, that Psalm chapter 51 is, is King David's cry of repentance after a season of sinfulness, sinful living in his life. Sin which included adultery and murder. And we read about this time in his life in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now after this time of sinning, God confronted David regarding his sin through a man named Nathan. And in response to God's merciful rebuke, King David repented of his sin. He asked God to forgive him, and God graciously forgave David. Now, to repent, and we've said this for a couple of weeks, we're going to say it one more week. To repent is to turn away from sin by turning to Jesus, receiving God's gift of forgiveness and restoration. To repent is to turn. Well, what are we turning from? We're turning from sin. Who are we turning to? We're turning toward Jesus is both of those. You can't turn from sin without turning to Christ because he's the one that gives you the ability to turn from sin. And when we do, when we repent, we receive this gracious gift from God of forgiveness and restoration. And that's exactly what we find David doing in Psalm chapter 51. This is his cry of repentance for the sin that he committed back in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so far in this psalm, as we studied through it the past couple of weeks, we've seen that genuine repentance includes right belief and right confession and right attitude and right request. Now, we need to believe the right things about God, have the right attitude before God, a humble attitude, so that we'll confess that our sin is as bad as God says it is. And then we want to make the right request. And we saw that in verses 7 through 12 last week. And that right request is a, is a plea for God to forgive us. But what next? After you have requested forgiveness and God has given you this incredible gift, how do you respond? What, what's the appropriate response to this gift of forgiveness? And so we want to finish this passage today with one more truth statement, and that is this. We need to have the right response. We need to have the right response. What is that response? We ought to respond to God's restoration with a readiness to live for him. We ought to respond to God's restoration, his forgiving us and restoring us. We want to respond with a readiness to live for him. When God forgives us, he doesn't just tell us that he won't punish us for our sins. But as we saw last week, he cleans us off and he makes us brand new. You can look back at that beautiful description of forgiveness in verses 7 through 12. God's forgiveness is a full restoration into his kingdom so that we'll have lives useful to live in His kingdom for His glory. When God forgives us, listen, Christian, listen, when God forgives you, it, He doesn't forgive you then so that you'll just wallow around in your sin for the rest of your life. He restores you so that you can serve Him being useful in His kingdom. We don't have to continue living under the weight and shame of our sin. When God forgives us, it's a complete restoration. I want you to see with me four ways we see here in this passage David respond to God's restoration with a readiness to live for him. Four ways that we see David respond. And these are 
four ways that we ought to respond to God's gracious gift of forgiveness and restoration in our lives. The first is this. We respond to the restoration that God graciously gives us by teaching sinners how to be forgiven. We respond by teaching sinners how to be forgiven. Notice verse 13. After his plea for forgiveness, his confession in the first part of this psalm, his plea for forgiveness in the second part, then in this third part, he begins this way. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Then. Then. After what? After receiving your forgiveness, then I will teach transgressors your ways. The sinners will return to you. I don't know about you, but I just stop right there and I go, wait a second. Wait a second. What? David is going to teach sinners about God? David, the lustful, deceitful, murderous, adulterous thief? I mean, David is going to teach sinners about God? That just doesn't seem right. I mean, the last thing David should be thinking is that he is going to teach someone else how to follow God. And that's exactly what he says. How can he say that? How can that be something that honors God? Here's how. A massive change has taken place in David's heart and life that now allows David to be in a place where he can teach others the ways of God. Yes, David committed many sins. However, God has forgiven him. And when God forgives you, he restores you in such a way that you can and you will teach others the ways of God. Listen, when you understand the depth of your sin, as David does in verses 3 through 5, and then you experience the magnificent forgiveness of God as he does in verses 7 through 12, then you are not going to be able to help but tell others about God, specifically other sinners. You will want, I will want the same thing for them that we have come to understand and experience for ourselves. I mean, we're going to look at people walking in sin. We're going to remember what it was like living under the guilt and the shame and the pain and the destruction And we're going to want to share with them how they too can be forgiven. That's exactly where David finds himself in verse 13. And we're going to want to teach them that God is blameless in all his ways and thus they deserve to be punished. We're going to want to teach them that God is merciful and loving towards sinners and thus they can be forgiven if they will repent and turn to Christ. And we're going to want to share with other people and teach them that God is wise and truthful in all of his ways. And thus, we ought to listen to Him, agree with Him regarding our sin, and follow Him in obedience in everything He calls us to do. Here's the point. When once you have experienced, I want you to think back to, to, to the forgiveness in your life. Think back to, the, to, to feeling the weight and guilt of, of sin, and then the rush of God's forgiveness and love overwhelming you. When you have experienced the great and awesome forgiveness of God, then there's going to burn within you a longing for others to experience that same forgiveness as well. But not only will you long for others to experience that, not only will you long to tell others, God will empower you to do just that. He sends His Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we can not just have a want to, but have an ability to 
Go and tell other people how they can be reconciled to the God who loves them so much. And this is how God saves sinners. He uses people who have been saved from their sin. That's God's plan. That sinners who have been saved would take the message of the gospel to other sinners who need to be saved. Consider the Apostle Peter for just a moment. I love this story. You remember after, um, after he had walked and talked with Jesus for several years, and then that moment came where Jesus had been arrested, and Peter just a, a few hours earlier said, I will, I'll die for you, Jesus. And then what's he do? He denies even knowing Jesus three times in a row. Talk about sin. Talk about conviction. He ran away with tears in his eyes knowing how unrighteous he was. But then, after Jesus died, and then he resurrected from the grave, we find this incredibly intimate moment between Jesus and Peter. This life-altering interaction between Jesus and Peter. Where Jesus forgave and restored Peter in such a way that Peter gave the rest of his life over to teaching others about the saving grace of God. Three times, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter responded, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times, Jesus said, well, I'm glad, but you can't serve me because you messed up. I forgive you, but you're done. Absolutely not. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter after he says, do you love me three times? And, Jesus, and Peter responds and says, I know, you know that I love you, Lord. And Jesus looks back at Peter and he says, then feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. Feed my sheep. A complete and full restoration. Not just so that, sin, so that Peter wouldn't have to live under the weight of his sin anymore, but so that Peter could live for the glory of God, helping other sinners be rescued from their sin, just like he was. Peter, a sinner, forgiven and restored, then used by God to lead many people away from their sin into a saving relationship with God. David, a sinner, forgiven and restored, then used by God to lead many people away from their sin into a saving relationship with God. You say, well, who did David teach? Well, Let's just get right to it. Us. And everybody for the past 3,000 years that has read Psalm chapter 51 and all the other Psalms that King David wrote. Think about the impact that he has had on the nations, really. God, Christian, God will use you to turn sinners from their ways when you respond to His forgiveness with a desire to be used by Him. I think the most passionate plea to repent will be from one who is deeply aware of the wonder of God's forgiveness. And so if you are deeply aware of the wonder of God's forgiveness in your own life, then you are poised to offer a passionate plea to those around you who are still walking in their sin, that they don't have to keep walking in their sin anymore. There's a God who loves them, who has sacrificed His Son to forgive them. And it's a gift of grace if they will respond in repentance and faith. Maybe you say, I want to help others turn from their sin by trusting in Jesus, but, Pastor, I'm just not smart, smart enough. I mean, I want to do that, but I don't know what to say. I don't know, I don't know how to do that. Can I, can I, just, I want to lovingly say, say this to you. If you have received forgiveness, if God has forgiven you of your sins and you would say, I, I'm a child of God, he has, 
He's, he's cleansed me from my sin and I'm forgiven and I belong to Him. If that's true of you, then you know enough to help someone else turn from their sin and trust in Christ. If you don't know enough to help someone else say that, do that in their lives, to turn from their sin, I would just lovingly put before you, I don't think you know enough for your own sin to be forgiven. I don't mean that in an in a, in a arrogant way. I mean that to encourage you. The gospel message is simple. If we're sinners, God is a holy God. We have messed up His good world because of the sin in our lives, and yet He has still chosen to love us and to send His Son to take our place. It should be us being punished for our sin, but instead Jesus took our punishment for us. So that everyone who believes in Him, who, who relies upon what He did on the cross to rescue them, can be saved. It is a simple message. I know that there's certain things in the Bible that are hard to understand, It'll take a lifetime to even begin unpacking all of God's Word. And I think for all of eternity, we'll be learning new things about God. But listen, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, you know enough to help someone else become a Christian. So don't use that excuse. You can help someone else. It's not that complicated. Listen, there are people sinking in their sin all around us, and we who have been forgiven know how they can be rescued. May we not, church, sit on the shore with our excuses while we watch our family and our friends and our neighbors drowning under the waves of their sin. Church, if we're failing to live with an evangelistic zeal in our lives, perhaps we see here in Psalm 51, perhaps we are failing to gaze into the beauty of God's forgiveness and be overwhelmed by the amazing grace of God in our own lives. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, he said, the greater enjoyment we have in the ways of God, the more faithfully and earnestly we shall make them known to others. Perhaps the reason we're not earnestly and passionately making known the ways of God to others is that we're finding our enjoyment in the things of this world instead of in the forgiveness of God. Because when we find our enjoyment and our passion and our pleasure in life and the forgiveness of God, we won't be able to help but tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ and how they too can experience that forgiveness. Truth number two, how do we respond one way, we teach others how they can be forgiven. But number two, we respond to God's restoration by singing the truth about God. We respond to God's restoration by singing the truth about God. Notice verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David knows that he's guilty of sin. He knows it. He knows that the sin he has committed, according to Old Testament law, is punishable by death. Adultery and murder. He has committed a capital offense. He has the blood of another on his hands. That's why he cries out, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. That's not just a metaphor for the sin that is in his life. He has the blood of someone else on his hands. And he knows that. And yet, as we've seen, he believes that God is a saving God, and so he asks God to save him. Oh, God of my salvation, 
And then David says that in response to God saving him, forgiving him, delivering him, he is going to sing aloud of God's righteousness. Let's talk about the word righteousness for just a moment. Often when we think about God's righteousness, it's in terms of our guilt before God. Because God is righteous and we are not. We stand before God guilty of sin. We deserve to be punished. And it's not wrong to think about God's righteousness in that way. I think we need to think that way. God is righteous and we're not, and therefore we're guilty of sin. But I think David means more than that by the word righteous here. Uh, David here in this, in this verse is rejoicing in salvation as he sings about the righteousness of God. So why doesn't he say that he's going to sing aloud of God's love or his mercy or his grace? It's not wrong to do that. But here he says, because I am so glad that God has saved me, I'm going to sing aloud of God's righteousness. I think David is including all the attributes of God, his righteousness, his justice, his holiness, and the love and mercy and grace of God in this one attribute of righteousness. He's singing about how the righteous God has remained righteous while forgiving him of his sins. In other words, David is going to declare through song that God has made a way for sinners to be forgiven while at the same time remaining completely righteous in all of his ways. The only way we can understand God's righteousness and his saving power at the same time is by going to the cross. There at the cross, God manifested his righteousness in such a way that he poured out the wrath that you and I deserve. This is righteousness and our guilt. On his son, instead of us, there's his love and his grace and his mercy. And therefore, he remained righteous because he did punish sin, which he has to do. But he also saved us by punishing his son instead of us. You can read more about that in Romans chapter 3. And here, David is saying that he is going to respond to God's forgiveness by declaring through song the saving power of the righteous God. Here, just one kind of point of application here. This, this is not a cheesy song that David's going to sing. It's not. It is a song that is rich, rich in theology. It's rich in gospel news. It's rich in biblical doctrine of who God is and how he rescues people from their sin. The same ought to be true of the songs that we sing. We looked at the word righteous. I want us to also see the the mode. The substance of the song is the righteousness of God and who he is. But what's the mode? How is he going to declare this truth? He specifically says that he's going to declare it by singing it. He's going to sing aloud the righteousness of God. Church, one of the hallmarks of a people who have experienced the glorious forgiveness of of God is singing aloud the truth about God. That ought to happen when we're in the shower and in the car by ourselves. That ought to happen in our homes, parents. We ought to be teaching our children to sing songs of truth about the God who is righteous and holy and loving and gracious. In church, we must ensure that singing God's truth is a priority when we gather together. Show me, show me a gathering of people joyfully 
and loudly singing together the truth about God's righteous, saving power through Jesus. And I will show you a people who have experienced the supernatural, life-changing power and forgiveness of God. But on the other hand, show me a gathering of people who mumble through songs which declare the holiness and love of God toward them, displayed through Jesus' death and resurrection. And I will show you a people who either think they are forgiven, but really are not, or a people who have been forgiven, but who have grown cold toward the gospel of Jesus and are in danger of being counted with the Ephesian church who in the book of Ephesus was chastised for having abandoned their first love. I know God hasn't blessed all of us with what we would consider beautiful voices. But if God has blessed us with forgiveness, then we won't let the quality of our voices keep us from singing out loud and with joy the truth about God. How much it must pain the heart of God to see His people complain about having to sing too much in a worship service rather than see them asking, can we sing more? The glorious truths about God. But oh, how beautiful in the sight of God must it be to see and hear His people whom He has loved so much that He has sacrificed His Son to save. Join their voices together in loud songs of joyful praise directed toward Him, the Deliverer and the God of our salvation. May that be us, church. Truth number three. We respond to God's restoration by declaring the praiseworthiness of God. We see this in verse 15 and really on into verse 16 and 17 as well. We respond, thirdly, to to God's restoration by declaring the praiseworthiness of God. Now, in some ways, this is a combination of the previous two responses. Perhaps we may think it's simply just a restatement of verse 14. And maybe it is, but I think David here in verse 15 is giving us a more general response to God's forgiveness. He says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So in verse 15, David says, in response to your forgiveness, I'm going to open my mouth if you'll open my lips and I'm going to declare your praise. One way we do that is the previous verse by singing aloud. That's one way we declare God's praise with our mouth is by singing. We could go back to the previous Previous, previous verse, uh, the first verse that we looked at, verse 13. And that's another way that we can apply verse 15. When we open our mouths and tell a sinner how they can be saved from their sins, that's declaring the praiseworthiness of God. Because we're saying to that person, you can't save yourself, but God can. In fact, he's the only one who can save you. So verses 13 and 14 are two ways of applying verse 15. But really, you think about it, any speech... Any speech that directs someone else's attention to God and his worthiness to be praised is an application of verse 15. It's us opening our mouths after God opens our lips and declaring his praise. Just think about it this way. When someone asks you why you're not going to participate in the sin that everyone else is doing and you say, well, God forgave me. And, and, and I'm cleansed from my sin. And, and because of that, I'm going to choose to live for him. In that moment, your mouth is declaring the praiseworthiness of God. When someone invites you to go play golf or do something else on Sunday morning and you say, no, nah, no, thank you. I, I would love to hang out with you, but I don't want to miss gathering with my church family. 
you are in that moment declaring God's worthiness to be worshipped. When someone who knew you before you were saved says, wow, man, you've really cleaned up your life, and you respond, nah, actually God cleaned up my life. God forgave me. He did all the work. I just placed my faith in Jesus, and He changed me from the inside out. In that moment, your mouth is declaring the praiseworthiness of God. When a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a group of people hurt you because of a sinful choice that they made. And instead of retaliating in anger, you choose to love them and forgive them and speak kind words. You are in that moment praising God with your mouth. That's just a few examples. The point is there are all sorts of ways that we open our mouths and declare that God is worthy of worship in our lives. And that's exactly what we'll do if we've been forgiven by God. Here's the foundational truth about forgiveness and restoration that leads to a response of praise directed toward God. Here's the foundation of that. God is the one who does the work of forgiving us and restoring us. Thus, He alone is worthy of praise in response to our being forgiven. The one who does the work gets the credit. The one who does the work gets the praise. The one who does the work gets the glory. And I think that's what David's pointing to in verses 16 and 17. I mean, there's nothing that David can bring to God that would cause God to forgive him. He can't bring sacrifices to God. I mean, his crime is punishable by death. There's nothing that he can bring to God. He can't say, God, look at all I've done for you. God, look at all I'm going to do for you. Look at all I could have, all the sin I could have committed that I didn't. All he can bring before God is a broken and humble heart, we see in verse 17, declaring his unworthiness to be forgiven and asking God to show him undeserved mercy and grace and love. Even in verse 15, we see God doing all the work as God asked David to open his lips. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we really can do nothing apart from God. He says, oh God, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Until God comes into our lives and does His work of salvation, we cannot even utter a word of praise that God will be able to accept as pleasing in His sight. But God does intervene in our lives. He does open up our lips. And when He does, what's going to come out is God did it. He gets all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. No matter where we are, no matter who we are with, Christian, when God opens our lips, what comes out of our mouth ought to bring glory and honor and praise to the one who has done the work of salvation in our lives. Let me share with you the fourth and final truth we see in this passage of how we respond to God's restoration. God gives us this gift. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we say thank you to God? Well, fourth and finally, we respond by desiring to see our forgiveness benefit God's people. Respond to God's restoration by desiring to see your forgiveness, the forgiveness God has given you, benefit not just you, but God's people. We see this in verses 18 and 19. Now, at first glance, at first glance, these, these last two verses of the psalm, they kind of appear to be a little disjointed from the rest of the psalm. 
I mean, in verses 1 through 17, all those verses, you've got David and you've got God. It's you, O God, and me and my sin. It's me, I language, and you, God, you language. But then all of a sudden, David switches from talking about his individual relationship with God to talking about the whole nation of Israel. The term Zion here, it refers to God's people and God's place. Let's say it that way. Zion refers to God's people and God's place, which at this time meant the people of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. And so he says, to close out this psalm, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The abrupt change from verse 17 to verse 18, it's led some people, some Bible scholars to think that the last two verses here weren't original to David's song in Psalm 51, that they were added at a later date. But there's no reason for us to think that. There's no good reason to think that. It makes perfectly good sense that David's thoughts would shift all of a sudden from his own life and his sin before God to the nation as a whole. Why? Because personal sin is never only personal. Personal sin is never only personal. Our personal sin impacts God's people, even if God's people are not directly involved in our sin. Think about it. Before David committed the sin of which he is repenting of in Psalm 51, God had promised to further establish the nation under the rule of David's son. God had promised some specific things. We don't have time to look at all of those, and we don't need to look at all of those right now. Let me just give you two things that God had promised. God had promised, before David's sin, God had promised peace from their enemies. Under David's kingship, there was a lot of war. David, uh, God promised David, your son is going to reign and it's going to be a time of peace. And he also had promised David that his son would build a temple for him. Remember, David wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, no, you're not going to get to build it. Uh, your son is going to do that. You can read about God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's awesome. Go read 2 Samuel 7. Incredible passage in the Old Testament. But now, now, David is concerned that his sin will harm the whole nation by preventing God from keeping his promises. He's thinking back to these beautiful promises that God has given him. There's going to be peace in the nation of Israel, and there's going, to, there's going to be a new temple that's built for my glory and praise and honor. And now David's sitting there thinking about his sin and going, wait a second. My sin, my sin may affect the whole nation because God may not bless those promises because I have sinned against him. In other words, in other words, as the king goes, so goes the nation. David has fallen into sin, but he wants the nation to be strengthened just as he is being strengthened through God's forgiveness and restoration. So we see here his request to build up the walls is a request for protection from enemies, which means peace for the nation. He wants God to uphold his promise to bring peace, even though David has sinned. And then, and then the next implied request is that the temple will be built. Notice his implied request. He expects that right sacrifices are going to be made, burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, bulls are going to be offered on the altar. He's asking God to keep his promise of a temple being built where God would dwell with the people. 
Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that's great, but what in the world does that have to do with me? Well, our circumstances certainly are different than David's. I don't think we have any kings in here. You may think you are. But I don't think we have any kings of nations in here. Maybe you're thinking, well, our sin's not going to affect a whole nation of people. Well, I do think we can learn from this that our sin affects the rest of God's people. Listen, every time you sin, every time I sin, we are not only damaging our own witness, we are damaging the witness and the reputation of the entire body of Christ. So often, especially in our individualistic society that we live in, I tend to see my sin as my sin, and I tend to see your sin as your sin. But when we view ourselves as the people of God, as David does here, your sin becomes my sin, and my sin becomes your sin. My sin damages the whole witness of the whole church, just as your sin does. But that also means when I repent and receive forgiveness and restoration, the whole church is strengthened and built up. And when you repent of your sin and receive forgiveness and restoration, the whole church is strengthened and built up. And so I think the application here for us in verses 18 through 19, though our situation is very different than King David's, it's this. Let's hurt over one another's sins and let's rejoice over one another's repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. And not be so individualistic in the way that we handle our sin, my sin, your sin. I think there's one final, quick, but incredible way that we're impacted by God forgiving and restoring David and in the process not turning his back on the entire nation of Israel. You know what God was doing? You know what David is praying for here? That God's promise to send a deliverer through the nation of Israel would be preserved. God had also promised back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 a forever king that would sit on a forever throne coming from the line of David and God and David does not want God to break off that promise. David's plea in verse 18 and 19 is a plea for God to keep his covenant which God did. By sending Jesus, the Savior, the promised forever King on a forever throne. The Savior of the world was born through the line of David so that you and I can find forgiveness and restoration leading to a life of praise and service to King Jesus when we repent of our sin. So, would you just pause for a moment and think about the forgiveness in your life. If you have received the mercy and grace of God, just dwell for just a moment on the greatness of God's forgiveness. And then ask yourself, how am I responding to this gift of forgiveness that God has graciously given to me? Perhaps today you you can't respond appropriately to God's gift of forgiveness because you had never received gift of forgiveness. It'll look really foolish for you to jump up and down and hug somebody's neck and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, when you never received a gift from them. It would look really foolish for you to say, well, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to live for God, when you've never actually received God's forgiveness. And so if you've never received God's forgiveness, today you need to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and receive this gift. Then you can respond appropriately. If you have received the forgiveness of God, 
If you have received salvation, then let me ask you, how, how are you responding? What are you doing with this forgiveness? How are you saying thank you? Who is God calling you to teach about His ways of justice and forgiveness? Who is that person that God has placed in your life that needs to be turned from their sin and God is calling you to teach that transgressor about the ways of God? What needs to change when it comes to your desire to sing loudly the truth about God? What are some ways that you can declare the praiseworthiness of God today Tomorrow and the next day, at home, at school, at work, wherever you find yourself, whoever you find yourself with. And do you need to repent of sin today, not only for your own sake, but for the sake of the people of God? So that the church, not just you, but so that the whole church will be strengthened and built up. Listen, when God forgives and restores, we are to respond with praise to God and service for God. That's how we say thank you. Imagine taking an old classic car or pickup truck and restoring it. Some of you have done that. You take a broke down, rusty vehicle and you breathe new life into it. You work hard taking parts off, sanding them, repainting them, rebuilding it, replacing parts, putting it all back together, finding parts that you lost, not finding all the parts that you lost, everything that goes back into that restoration. You invest time and money and energy into the process. And then, when you finish, you step back and you say, wow, look at that. I did it. It looks great. Now, I'll park it in my garage and I'll leave it. And no one will ever get to see it. No one will ever, ever know what I've done. No, you don't do that. If you do that, that's kind of strange. When you finish, you step back and you say, look at that. I did it. It looks great. Now I'll drive it around and I'll do what? Show it off. I'll show it off. I want people to see it so they too can share in my excitement and appreciate the beauty of a broken down vehicle now restored. And now useful. You know, I think that's how God views us after He has forgiven us of our sins. He doesn't just want us to sit there and do nothing with the forgiveness that He's given us. He wants us to live in such a way that others can see His power of forgiveness in our lives. He cleanses us and He replaces our hearts, and He restores our joy so that we will get out on the road of life and live in such a way before others that they can't help but look and say, Wow, what happened to you? And then we can humbly and joyfully answer, God did it. God restored me. I was broken down in my sin. I wasn't useful in the kingdom of God. But He has cleaned me off. He has replaced my heart. He has made me new. I'm forgiven. I'm restored. I'm useful now in His kingdom. Jesus has paid the price for my sin. And by God's grace, through my faith in Him, I am not who I once was. Isn't God amazing? 
And He can do the same in your life too. If you'll repent of your sin. If you'll turn from your sin by trusting in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness and restoration. Just like me. That's how we say thank you to God. That's how we respond to the gift of forgiveness. We shine brightly for all the world to see. Not us, but Jesus in us. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to respond to your forgiveness in a way that honors you. Father, you tell us that we are a city set on a hill. We are a shining light. We are the salt of the earth. Father, we are to, by our lives, be pointing other people to your power of healing and forgiveness and restoration. Father, we are to be pointing other people by how we respond to the forgiveness that you've given to us to the cross of Christ so that they too can be forgiven and restored and useful in your kingdom. Father, would we be overwhelmed by your grace and mercy, by your gift of forgiveness in such a way Father, that we respond with a readiness to live our lives for You. Help us to share the good news with other people. Help us to sing loudly the truths about You. Help us to declare that You are worth more than anyone or anything else in all of life. No matter who we're with, no matter what we're talking about, May your praise come off of our lips. And Father, help us to see ourselves not just as individual people, but as a part of your people. And help us to walk in repentance so that the church is constantly strengthened and built up. Father, if we respond in this way, I believe that you will be honored and glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.